Two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is your girl Shanti Das, the host of the Silence the Shame podcast, here with my super duper incredible co-host, Free the Vision. How you doing, Free? I'm good, Shanti. How you doing? Good. The sun is shining. There's low humidity in the A. Life is good. Mm-hmm. I know you are coming live from the West Coast. I am. I'm over here in um, LA and the sun is shining and low humidity is feeling good <laughs> over here. So things are starting to pick up today. So this is good. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this is episode 47 of the Silence of Shame podcast. We're so excited to be bringing this incredible information uh, to the community today. And we're going to talk about Black male veterans and PTSD. And June 27th is PTSD Awareness Day. And it's really important, especially in communities of color, that we share our stories and that people hear from other men and women that have, you know, had these experiences um, in the armed forces and, and, and we thank them for their work, but it really is critical right now um, with all the talk that is going on around mental health that we also shine a light on our veterans and their journeys and what they're doing um, in terms of recovery and being whole again. And so, you know, we always like to have a resident clinician or mental health expert in the building. So today, we have Silence to Shame's Executive Director, Ms. Jewel Gooding. Welcome again to the conversation, Jewel. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey there, uh, Free. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you. So we're going to get right into it. And we're going to just bring in our guests, but then we're going to give each one of them about five minutes to share a little bit of their journey. Tell us when they served in the military, when they retired, what that experience was like, and when they were first diagnosed with PTSD and kind of what that meant to them. So first up, uh, I would like to um, bring to the Silence of Shame podcast stage, Mr. Billy Williams III. Billy retired in 2006, and he is a former Marine. So thank you, sir, for your service, and, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I appreciate all of you for inviting me. Uh, this is a wonderful experience and uh, being able to get the help others get an understanding of uh, what I've gone through and what others are going through. So thank you. And we love your shirt, by the way, your veteran shirt. That's cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> Amazing. <Father's- laughs> so, what, what'd you say? It was a Father's Day gift, so I appreciate oh, it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, happy belated Father's Day to all the amazing men out there. So tell us, Billy, give us a little bit of information about your journey um, in the service and and, uh, being diagnosed, you know, after you retired. Well, I went in uh, September uh, 1986. Uh, Wasn't something I really had planned on doing, but uh, by way of uh, where I was parented, you know, I had a kid on the way and my mom wasn't playing that. You were going to have to get out the house and go be a man. So uh, uh, not having a, a long historical background of military, even though our new family members served, I think it's a little bit different for minorities, vice, uh, whites, as far as serving. Uh, it's, it's big gaps. So uh, me joining, I joined in, uh, open contract, went in, combat arms, which was like a, a scout observer. Uh, I served in fire combat tools as far as from Desert Storm, 
Albania, Bosnia, and two tours in Iraq. I retired in 2006, uh, October. Uh, was about to go on two more combat tours and uh, decided, you know, my family had been through enough. I had been through enough, so uh, I just came on out. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD until um, probably about three to four years later. And mm -hmm. I didn't even, and, I, and I'm going to be honest, uh, time frame I served, PTSD wasn't even in the vocabulary of disabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what people, and this is where you got to go back to your history. PTSD is just another word for shell shock. That's what it used to be called back mm -hmm. for those who served uh, prior. Okay. So with that, with that in mind, uh, PTSD was not thrown out big at all for service members. Matter of fact, being a, a Marine and, you know, we, we considered, you know, the few, the proud, you know, the Marines, uh, you, you didn't talk about things that really bothered you, that ached you, that, that you just, the mission is the mission. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you know, being a black man coming up, you are not really taught to express a lot of your feelings. So you got <laughs> the historical side of a black man that's not expressing his feelings and going into a branch of service that's even suppressing your feelings even more. So uh, my PTSD came out and it was uh, unexpected for me. I was uh, just walked out my house, uh, went to this big open field in my neighborhood and started boohoo crying and uh, thought about committing suicide. Uh, I never mm -hmm. told family anything about that, but it was just, I just, just started breaking down crying and just look back and wonder why I made it and others didn't. And uh, call my mom. Uh, my mom is my biggest fan. She's uh, alive, believe it or not. She's came down on Father's Day. I gotta put that in there. And uh, it's meant so much for me because of her support. And um, the struggle I had with PTSD was uh, when meeting mental health doctors, everybody wanted me to tie it to one significant event. And it was not one significant event. You know, some people can sit there and say, oh, I watched the individual get killed or I watched something. You know, when you got five combat tours, you got training, you know, everybody might want to tie it into uh, combat. Some things is, you know, you have accidental deaths, you have suicide, mm -hmm. you have individuals that are killed uh, coming back from leaving liberty. So it's more than one way uh, PTSD can be developed. You know, I just don't want it to be that, oh, I, he just went to combat, so all of it's tied to one of those. No, I, I watched in a 20 year span a career individuals die for different reasons. And you you almost talk to lace your boots up and keep moving. And nobody ever brings you in and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about it. how did you uh how did it affect you? How do how what are you doing to get yourself around it? And um like I said, I just it almost got me to a breaking point. Um another thing that helped me was I went into the school system. And working with kids, you'd be surprised. These kids can sometimes be better than being around adults. And, you know, the love and stuff that they can teach you uh, just help you keep pushing on. And they got me past a very difficult point where I could go get some help. 
you know, I tell everybody it's a day-to-day process. I don't take anything for granted. You know, I don't, you know, at one point I kept my blinds closed. Now I keep them open. I look for that reason to hurry up and get up. And I think that one of the wisest things people have told me was, you know, uh, don't sleep all day. You're going to get that one day. You're going to get all the rest you want. So every chance I can open my eyes and get out there and get to it and try to get somebody something positive to think about or to understand that their life is important, I'm going to get it out there. I got to. I love that. And, and Billy, you bring up some really good points, you know, in thinking about even, you know, that 20 year span of constant exposure to, to so much, right, to so many stressors. And, and let's not even forget, you know, for those who even come in to the services, right, you know, sometimes they come in with a whole lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of our, our youth have experienced, right? You know, so when we talk about PTSD, uh, PTSD that post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, this is basically this the, that psychological residue that's left over, you know, after being exposed to constant stressors. You know, these are things that, you know, create a, a frightening or, you know, a hyper-focused of where you thought it was life-threatening, whether it happened to you directly or even sometimes just witnessing it. It's it's really not so much of the event as much as it is the the way you're responding to it, right? How does it linger within you? And then what happens when we don't actually talk about it? You know, Billy talked about, you know, you didn't talk about it. You just, you kept, you kept going. You, you keep uh, lacing up those bootstraps and you just have to keep going on. And that's usually the, the attitude that we're taking, especially in the black community, because, you know, you always have to show that you're strong. And when we think about mental health overall, we always think of it as being, you know, that weakness, right? That's that stigma in our community. You speak on it, Billy, very well, is that, you know, we're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to look as if something is wrong when, you know, it's just our medical conditions that we are experiencing. And when we don't address it, that this is what lingers on and it creates, you know, these chronic health conditions like diabetes, hypertension. You know, so it is important that we're talking about it, you know, and it's not just that exposure, you know, to that constant, you know, war, right? It's also just looking at you on, on television and, and watching, you know, each Black man being shot down sometimes, right? Sometimes that in itself will create more stress um, where you're starting to have more symptoms related to PTSD. Thank you, Billy so and yeah, absolutely. Um, all great points. And I'm, I'm going to come back to you, Billy, because I have some more specific questions. Next, I want to bring into the conversation uh, one of my good friends and buddies in the Atlanta community, uh, Mr. Melvin Middleton, who also is a former Marine. Uh, he served for four years and um, he was diagnosed in 2019 with PTSD. He also is a social media tech guru and club promoter and slash, 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 all these other wonderful things, but just a, a good person and a father. And just thank you for, for trusting in me and Silence to Shame, the work that we've been doing and being so supportive. Um, and I you know, didn't even know your true story and walk. So just honored that you are here today to share your conversation. So tell, tell us a little bit more, Melvin, about your journey and, and if you feel comfortable uh, when you got diagnosed and what was it like for you. But Again, share as little or as much, you know, this is a safe space. And so 
we don't want to trigger anything, but certainly, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, brother, we, we uh, will give you the floor now. Yeah, no doubt. Well, first and foremost, man, uh, Billy, man, I appreciate you sharing what you did. Um, it's a long thank journey, but, but I know I've been out the service. Uh, well, thank you, Shanti, for everything, everything. Uh, but I've been out the service. I joined the service in September of 94. Um, I didn't know what I was joining, really. I only joined because my, my, I have a twin brother and him and some of my other partners, you know what I'm saying? You know, they decided to join. Um, and we were in a lot of trouble, you know, in the nineties in Atlanta, it was really violent. Uh, I was active. Um, my father, uh, I came from Indiana, but my mother and father moved to Atlanta in like 87. And, uh, you know, to acclimate, get acclimated is a lot of things you go through, whatever. Um, my father struggled I mean, he was in the streets. And uh, we never knew that he struggled with suicidal tensions and things like that. So I didn't find that out actually to the day I left for boot camp. So uh, my brother got locked up, uh, he can't go. So I had to go by myself and yeah, we're the oldest of five kids. So, you know, automatically I'm going in there with a chip on my shoulder, something to prove. I talked to my pops, um, you know, right before I went to, um, to get on the bus really. And that's when he told me what was going on with him. And, you know, so I just went out there and try to be a man and, and, and give him a reason to live, you know. So I go through boot camp and in boot camp, you know, I did very well. You know, I did very, very well. Uh, reality of it was I was the, the, the glue that kept everybody together. But the whole time, as you stated, sometimes we deal with traumas that we never discuss and we go through thinking that we're strong and that we're healed and that we're safe, a safe space for other people, not knowing that we need a safe space for ourselves. And honestly, I went through my whole life like that until, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was on my deathbed and I was at the VA and she told me if I made it out, if I was lucky enough to make it out that I needed to go register for the VA. Still not knowing that I had trauma, you know, I just go thinking I'm going to get some benefits. I was always anti the military because of what happened. Um, like I said, I, I thrived in the service. I, I picked up sergeant in three years. So career-wise, it was dope. You know what I mean? But that mentality that I took in there, uh, you know, I'm smaller. So I took a, an aggressive, very aggressive mentality into the military. And as you stated, in boot camp, you, you're trained all day to be that way. And they encourage that type of behavior, especially from people that they know they can get out of. And it, it took me a while to learn that from them. And before I knew that they were playing games with me and realized that uh, one of my drill instructors pulled uh, an assault put our M16 out and uh, you know he racked around and he pointed at me threatened to kill me um, and that just pissed me off and I was angry at the world for a long time bro a long time you know what I mean out of stuff that I went through before going in and then getting out I thought I was okay and I dodged it it wasn't until my wife made me go to the hospital because I was basically dying I had a 105 temp 105 temperature and I just laid there and she said you're not gonna die on my watch and she made me go I went in um, a couple months later, they asked uh, for me to come and do an evaluation. And that was the first time anybody ever, ever asked me, was I okay? And uh, I wasn't, um, you know, um, a year before that, um, you know, still doing, trying to find my way. I try to do the right things out here, you know, but sometimes you backslide or get, get involved with certain things and go back to the wrong environment. And um, I didn't know I was sick, man, until, um, I was robbed. Me and my friend was robbed. And they took the money. It was like $11,000, $12,000. They took the money, but instead of running off and leaving, 
the brother turned around. No, he ran off and he turned around and he turned back and he just unloaded the gun. And I thought, I, I, I just had my child like a week before that. And I thought that um, I was a gun. He shot my friend three times. And I, like I say, I'm not to go into too much detail, I've, I've experienced this so much, so many times, bro. So many times, you know, and then, uh, so that's when I really realized that I really, really needed help because I, I became even that much more apparent. I, I, as I was healing over time through spiritual work and stuff like that, working with people like Shanti and, and giving the chance to, to prove that I wasn't, you know, just something to be discarded. Uh, she, she is one of the people that really gave me a chance to be somebody. And um, I always try to, you know, live up to that. And it wasn't until that happened to me that I realized that I had a problem. Because I felt like people was always following me. Um, I was very, very paranoid. I, you know, to this day, I struggle with some things, you know. But I didn't think I'd be triggered today. But some of the things that the brother said, man, you know, we we go through a lot as, 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 as men. But one thing that we never have been shown or told to do was to share. And that sharing weak. And it's not the reality of it is the more you identify, the more you share, the, the quicker you'll find the people walking the same light as you, or you can identify, they can identify with some of your struggles or even some of your, your positives. And then you, you can find build a rapport with those people and together y'all can share the uh, the journey to growth, man. You know, so I applaud Shanti Silence of Shame and anybody uh that's taking the initiative to get better and to heal themselves, also to once they see that it's possible to be healed, to start working and try to heal other people. Uh, my brother and I uh, and my friend, we have an initiative called Reparations, which we uh, consider reparations for uh, black male veterans uh, who were ashamed or anti the military when they got out. They thought that was uh, not in their best interest to go and get the benefits that they were due or didn't know, know that they could get them like myself. Um, and uh, we helped uh, a lot of our men are out here homeless because they struggle with uh, not having family. So we help uh, place uh, uh, displaced veterans. I don't want to call them home, but we help displaced vets find housing uh, and, and stability because uh, and the journey to healing requires a, a form of level of stability that, you know, we don't know that, that we don't have. You know, when you're moving around and you're thinking that everything's all good, you're doing whatever you're doing, man, mental health is the most important thing i found. Uh, and, and my wife, like I, as I stated, my wife, Shanti, and my children, most importantly, have given me a second um, look. And uh, I live for them. I live for my spirit. I live for my people now. Uh, and I'm grateful that, you know, I'm gotten to this point, uh, you know, to um, start healing, the healing process. You know, like I said, I won't go into a lot of the other stuff. It's just been, it's been heavy, but it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. I'll say that. But let me just first say, Melvin, like, one, I'm just so glad your your wife was there with you and mm -hmm. got, got you the help that you needed. As you know, when I met you, I didn't know this story. Yeah. I didn't know this part of the walk. And I just saw something in you and wanted to give you and your brother a shot. And we just started vibing. And you didn't know my journey, right? No, and what I, I dealt with and gone through. And it just... Mm -hmm. I think Billy might have said, or somebody, even Jewel, I don't know, but we, we are more alike, right? No matter what our background is, what our nationality is, and, and, and life is really tough. But for you all particularly, just what you endure for the, you know, this country, for total strangers, right? You go out there and you put your life on the line. And, and I just hate that there's not a lot of self-care in the journey along the way. I know it's a lot you can share, a lot you can't share, 
from being in the military, but I, I do hope, you know, and, and pray that things get better just from a wellness perspective and that there are new things that we can implement That's to true. help you all throughout the journey. Billy, would you want to say anything to Melvin just being kind of senior in the Marines and, and knowing his walk before we get into our next question? Well, Melvin, I don't want you to be mad at me, but I was a former drill instructor. Uh, and what your drill instructors uh, did to you, first of all, that, that they should have been uh, relieved of cause and that shouldn't have happened. You know, when you have young men that come in and young women that come in to serve, they already are intimidated of you because of the statue and what you bring to the table, but they also have a respect for you. So taking a gun uh, or weapon to put at your head and point at you with, to me was cowardly. They didn't need to do that. You, you, you already had uh, a humbling appearance for your drill instructor. So they didn't even need to do that. And I understand, cause like I said, I was a recruit first and then becoming a drill instructor. So I've done this, I call it the second phase of, of, right of boot camp. Okay. You know, you, 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 you don't, you don't need to do young men like that. And, and what I learned anyway was you got individuals coming from all walks of life. And what you don't want to do is waste the opportunity for an individual having an opportunity to be successful in life. You know, I went in um, with the mentality of thinking that the more recruits you drop, the better you were as a drill instructor. But then somebody threw at me, how well do you teach? And teaching and yelling are two different things. See, a young man like you that would have had the attitude and, you know, was uh, going through things, we would have got that time doing boot camp where I would have been able to acknowledge that one, but be able to talk to you later on and sit there and say, hey, this is a second chance in life. Go back when you go back home and change other individuals' lives. And when we start developing that attitude and, and that format, we, we will start being a lot more successful as, as Black mm -hmm. people, just, right. just in general. You know, we, we, we're scared to teach for some reason. We, we can yell, but we don't want to teach. So from here on out, continue to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I'd like to connect with you later on because it is huge out here. The number of, uh, and we can just say veterans in general or black veterans that don't know how to go get the benefits. It took me 12 years to go get mine. But again, nobody we have comes up to us and say, hey, this is what's owed to you. It, mm -hmm. took me to, it took me to go through the recession, not working, to sit here and say, what kind of income can I be bringing into my family? Now, I'm still going through the ailments, you know, the mental health and all these other things. And people say, but you haven't went to the VA? Hmm. So, so that was the ticker. And I was like, go to the VA. They were like, come on now. What do you, it's not just about you. It's about your family too. Because if I go homeless, my family goes homeless. If, yeah. if I don't not eat, my family is not eating. If I'm not getting my mind right, I'm taking it out on my family. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, I totally understand. And it's just so many parts to this mental health and passing knowledge on to veterans. It's just th those shows after shows after shows. And I think y'all, all that's sitting on this panel, totally understand that. Absolutely. Speaking of the VA and, and just getting help, you know, I've been told that if you don't document your health challenge while you're in the service that is harder to get diagnosed when you get out 
to get That's the totally treatment true. and care that you need. So if you know if you are experiencing what you may not know is PTSD or just mental health challenges, can you kind of uh-huh. talk about that journey and what does it mean to have a VA rating and how does that play into benefits and 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 those that may be suffering from PTSD and so. How do our, our our black veterans get the help that they need, Billy and Mel? They need to one listen to Billy and Mel because, <laughs> and I'm gonna be honest, it's it's where the walk is not easy. Mel mm-hmm. came in, got out a lot later than I did, so it's mm-hmm. a little bit different on his uh, being able to get disability. But again, in the Marine Corps, and Mel knows this. You don't talk about injuries. You don't go to sick call, so. What I should have been doing was, if I didn't go to sick hall, I should have met up with my corpsman or my doctor and say, hey, today I took an aspirin for my knee or I took mm-hmm. an aspirin for my headache. That way it's, it's put in my record book that I had an ailment. But a lot of times we do the self-medication and nobody knows about it. Well, let's think about a book we go buy that has a thousand pages in it, but it has no writing on it. <laughs> you, it says nothing. So think about your record book. If your record book can't reflect you taking that aspirin for that knee, you taking that aspirin for that headache, it shows nothing. So you're gonna be trying to, it's almost gonna be like a, a winless battle because if it's not documented in your record, you don't have a case. And, yeah. I, and, I, tell, and I tell everybody, you almost need to go through your book yourself because you don't know how that doctor or that corpsman wrote your information in your record book. And they're they gonna tell well, let me you jump they, in for a second. What if it's a mental health issue though, and you're trying to still climb up the ranks and you don't want to be oh, embarrassed? How, how do you deal with that though? I don't think you're gonna be able to stay. Uh, depends, I think on when you serve, and Melvin is the younger individual, but I know when I serve, you said anything about uh, I'm not feeling well, and I think if they're gonna put you in a unit by yourself or somewhere mm-hmm. Outside of your unit, you would not be in a, a combat arms MOS. You're going to be given some type of, um, I don't want to say a cushiony job, but that's basically what it's going to be. And they're going to separate you. You're not going to be able to re-enlist. That is going to uh, first mark your book, uh, flag your book. That that's you, a double-edged sword, though, right? So, like, if you have issues, if you don't document it, and then when you get out, you can't really access the resources as easy but if you do do it it's like damn if you do damn if you don't and you just well, gonna yeah. suffer through it which i think i believe i believe it's intentional um you know it, it you're talking about children but really children, young people coming into boot camp 17 18 19 years old for the most part and uh you know when i served uh this was before like the, the different rights groups got in the different mother associations got in to, you know because you really have to get jump in there and start protecting their children because the reality of it is is that the men that typically went into i won't say our, us but the others that typically go in there they go in for reasons that are are different from us we typically go into escape uh for for financial uh, means to help our family different things like that they go in with um uh, lower self-esteem, you know what I mean, with agendas, you know what I mean, uh, they got something to prove against the father, against the coach, they might have came out of, uh, their, their their violent environments might have came out of, um, you know, athlete, athletics and, 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 you know, stuff like that, where versus with us, we were doing it a lot, for the most part, for the men that I knew, it was an escape of, of, our, of our reality. And our reality, when my reality, when I went uh, to the service, was die, sell dope, or go to prison. That was my reality. 
and and, I, and no one could tell me any different. It wasn't that I wasn't intelligent because no one told me about going to college. No one mm-hmm. told me any of these things. When we was coming, they was pushing us through. They didn't care about the young men. They was like, you were lucky to graduate. If you graduated, that was an accomplishment. Go get a job. You know, and I mean, your mother and your father can't provide in a way that you start seeing others provide. For, for, uh, you know, you start to get these things in your head. It's like, I'm going to go be the best self. Like, like, like Billy said, Billy came from a traditional home uh, that we know about uh, where if you did have a, a child early or whatever, out of wedlock or whatever, you know what I mean? You're not going to lay around and not do. You're going to go in and try to become something to be a provider. And, you know, back then his alternative was the service. His alternative wasn't going in corporate or going into college or going, you know, going into a business that his parents might have set up for him or whatever. These skill sets we weren't given before going in. So when we go in there, the last thing we want to do is fail. You got 11 weeks to prove yourself. You know, size doesn't matter. Where you come from doesn't matter. You're all the same. They treat you all the same at, at, for the most part. And those that, that have, 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 have ability, they start treating different and they push harder. You know, because they want the best, you know, they want the best out, out of each individual. Well, some of those individuals that become drill instructors don't become drill instructors with the right intention. They're doing it to either escape, you know, I mean, their, 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 their reality in regards to the type of, uh, of MOS that they have. They're tired of being in the field. They're tired of doing these different things. So this is a, a, a way to escape in a lot of people's mind, not knowing that it's, it's really work. And you're really your psychologist, your big brother, your, your uncle, your father, you, all these different things, you know what I mean? But more, most importantly, you, you're there to be to protect the product that you're trying to create. And they tend to forget that because they have all these different things. Either it could be race, it can be uh, hate, it could be envy, it could be a lot of different things, you know what I mean? But those things they put into the to drive them to push them through because it's difficult. If you're if you're a recruit, you can imagine how difficult it is for you. But imagine being a drill instructor doing it every single day and dealing with 70, 80 people, different personalities every single every three months. You're going through the you're traumatized already. You're no different than the recruit that you're that you're training. If you don't, if you haven't worked on healing your trauma, all you're gonna do is implement and push that onto somebody else. So hazing became really bad. Uh, uh, I mean, they got out of control, out of control. This thing that, that we were made to do in boot camp that I still like right now, I still can't can't tolerate the smell of bleach because I get flashbacks of just rolling across the ground with, with a with a rag and bleach, no water. Mm-hmm. No, like they did things to, to intentionally humiliate, but to build you up. And it worked because I ain't gonna lie. I was bad. I ain't, you know what I mean? I, I, I was bad. You know what I mean? I, I, I went from just being a private as a private. You know what I mean? I had 48 Marines up under me. But again, I'm, I'm ducking off the truck. They, they, they pacify me with different things. You know what I mean? So I forget what they did to me or what, or what I went through or what I'm dealing with or the fact that I ain't seen my family. They're gonna send me overseas for a year. They don't care nothing about any of that. You know what I mean? It's about the greater good of the, of the core. And, you know, once you learn those mentalities, you get trained to be a Marine. You don't get tra- uh, retrained how to, uh, to, uh, to be a civilian. And we struggle with those things. So when you try to jump out and you try to get a spouse, you still have anger issues. You still have ways of dealing with things. You know what I mean? You know, if you're praying to a gun, a rifle every night, that's not normal. So when you go out into the world, you know what I mean? Things that you consider normal, hyper hyperactive, hyperviolent environments, you know, other people like, man, what's wrong with him? He crazy. I've taken blood. I have given blood. And I'm not proud of any of that. You know, because when they didn't send us to combat, they're training killers, but they having us just sit on top of each other and they mistreat you and you get off. And what you going to do when you get out of work? You're going to go to the E-Club. You're going to go do these different things. But most importantly, you're going to beef with each other, especially with gang violence and all these different things, you know. So like I, I, him, he just said he got out. He did 20 years. 20 years of his life. There's no way. 
they can compensate him for that. But the challenge that they, 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 they put in front of him in order just to compensate him for the mental health, for the back aches, for the leg aches, all these different, different things you got to jump through hoops. Like they lost my record. Every every medical record that I have going overseas, that I had overseas in Panama, everywhere, every place I ever went, they lost. And you know what they tell me? Well, we can't find it. What? You need to, yeah. So when I got uh, a diagnosis of PTSD, all the other trauma, my uh, my, my my severed nerves, my, uh, my 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 face damage, the 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 um, the, um, the the um, the cut. I had plastic surgery while I was in there from when I got attacked. I had thirty nine stitches in my face. All these different things, you know, what I mean that happened on day watch. You get what I'm saying? Like I say, I'm not I'm not I'm not proud of what I was. You know what I mean? When I when I am now, my spirituality, my mother, father, my my family, my wife, my children, they helped me heal to this point. They didn't do nothing. Nothing. If I went to almost die, I, I never would have went because I, I I was anti them because of how they treated us. And no brothers, but I, I was saved in there because brothers like Billy seen potential in me outside of just being a Marine. And they took they took care of making sure that they grew me as as black men. And that helped me get my mind together before I came back out in this world. So even though I had challenges in this world. When I got back out, I had a conscience that I didn't have in there. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm a, I'm extremely grateful, but we are challenged out here. And I think that talking to, to doing things like this and and sharing it with people that might even be considering going, we have to get them before they go in because mm -hmm. they're being tricked. They're thinking that they're they're going to be the same as the other as their counterpart, and it's not like that. If you think racial divide and and, and different things separate you out here, imagine in there where they don't have no um, policing. They treat us oh. like we're like we're not even supposed to be there because that's their club. Like he said, not enough of us join. So so the numbers are different. Because a lot people, of people, to your point, will experience PTSD from racism, harassment, and white supremacy within the service. I mean, well, oh, oh, a of, yeah, a lot of that stuff is not even talked talked about because you, nobody wants to. That can't be flashed upon the news. So a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. is kept within the branch of service, and mm -hmm. that's where the politics you know, the politics play. And when you sit here and talk about disabilities, well, let's let's be honest, name a, a government benefit that is maximized. Because if they wanted you to maximize, they'll give you a step-by-step -step process in order for mm -hmm. you to do it. Mm -hmm. So for veterans to be able to get benefits, it's a challenge. Like I said, now they're, they're working a little bit better, but you know, because now the, the dust is settling, you know, and things are going to go back to, to almost normal. It's, it's other things that are more important. The, the big flash ain't all about the combat anymore because we're not fighting right now. Mm -hmm. the, the sad thing about it is you got to look at when I came, well, the, I'm the tail end, so Mel didn't deal with this. But before me, a lot of your service members were individuals who were, were, were in the court system and were told either you go into jail mm. or you go serve. A lot of my friends so so you, you you think about that. So I'm going to serve. <laughs> and mm -hmm. all I'm trying to do is get my four years. You're not sitting there thinking about learning the history of uh, of that military. Some mm -hmm. of you, and I'm well, let me let me correct myself. It depends on your mindset as you start staying there. Some mm -hmm. people made it, you got individuals like me that made it work. You know, I, I had that type of family later on that said, you know, you're not coming out because one, you ain't been to school. I want you to have choices. So that's what pushed me to 20 years. You know, you know, have a family. You don't get out and not have a plan. You know, you have other young individuals that do that. 
and that that's you 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 just got to have plans in place. But um, the service members I was dealing with were, you know, they were they're appointed by court, and a lot of them didn't know anything about any benefits. Benefits weren't even talked about. Even when it was time for me to separate, no one sat there and said, go to the VA as soon as you leave here. And when I did my final physical, and it's the sheet, it's a checklist. And if you don't know to sit there and say, everything from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I have problems with. If you don't literally say that, if you go down and just say your arm and your eye, that's the two things that's going to be put on your final physical. And those are only two things later on you may be able to claim. Yep. So yep. when you do oh, your is that claim. Before, is that before discharge? That's during that discharge. That's during discharge. Right. That is. Go ahead. But I'm sorry. That's severance. What you're speaking to is like legally, from my understanding, before uh, before you are uh, uh, discharged from the service, uh, you're supposed to go through these different courses or whatever to prep you um, for the civilian world or whatever it may be. So they call it sets or whatever. Uh, when I went through, um, like I said, they didn't. I, I I was in Panama, and that's the forty eight hours from from flying back from Central America, getting checked back in. I had to check out. They, they basically put me out. I didn't get the chance to go through. I never, like he said, I did not know that we reap benefits. I didn't know they didn't tell me anything about no VA, about nothing. They gave me my records. They say because they were upset. Honestly, my unit was upset that I got. I was one of two black men in my unit. You know, I dealt with racial tension, all those different things. What made them upset is that after they were forced to give me my rank, after holding it for an additional three months, they were upset that I decided to to, to get out after that. You know, so that, that was a big fuss. You know, oh, you, you make a fuss to get your rank and then you turn around and you get out. So everything that we did, we were trouble, we were considered troublemakers. If you said something about, okay, well, well, what do I need to do about my leg? What do I need to do about my mind? What about my, these migraines that I struggle with? What about my back? What you know? What about these things? Well, like I said, I, I did not get my benefits. So I was out twenty one years. And, and so the separation. Let me ask part. You guys something like, did you did you have or do you currently have access to to therapy or yes. opportunities of peer support? So like all of this information right now, you know, none of us will ever know none of this, right? So it's like for you all and your experiences, like have you been able to connect back to be able to, to pull others through? Because I've heard this, you know, in other areas. I know particularly for women in service, the sexual assault that comes along with um, being in the services and, and how it's completely ignored at the same time, you know, being black, you know, in the armed services. And, and again, having that, that constant exposure to, to race-based stress and, and who you served and what you served for. And then sometimes how that feels if it's being thrown back into your, to your face. And, and then to think about, you know, just how do you deal with all of that? That re-entry has been talked about a lot. You know, you're trying to just get acclimated. You were taught to be a soldier. You were taught to, to kill and that is what you were supposed to do. And then you come back and they say, no, you can't do that anymore, right? You know, and, and how are you supposed to be able to take whatever's been ingrained in you? And I mean, it's truly, just like you said, it broke you to the point where that was what your life, your foundation had become. And now all of a sudden you have to turn it off. And well, so, you know, and I, I, I want to just one, just con both of you, you know, for sharing and 
and just being able to be this transparent to continue to support others. But just, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I yeah, think I, I'll say something real quick. Then, Billy, I I, I'll let you speak. Um, I think we struggle a lot because a lot of the Marines that come out, they go into um, more aggressive fields, which is another problem because you'll have a lot of people that's trained that, 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 uh, for, for war or that, that have been in combat and they bring those skill sets back to civilian jobs, which the police force is a civilian job. It's not, you're not serving or you're not in the military. You know what I mean? You're not, you know, protecting or, or, or keeping away from something. You're there to protect uh, uh, certain protective people. But that mentality, the reason you see, part of the reason we see a lot of these shootings and things like that, because a lot of them are former servants. A lot of them, that's their job. They didn't pull up in some neighborhood in, in Iraq and ask questions to, to I'm, I'm hypothetically, you know what I mean? But here, the training is not that. You're supposed to empathize and sympathize with your community. That's not how they operate. That's what, so when they pull up in our communities, they already have that aggressive mentality, you know what I mean, to where shoot first. You're already scared, it's not your neighborhood, shoot first. So we're not, they're not doing a good job with the transition. We are now starting to wake up and starting to speak to each other. I have a group of my, I have about 30 Marines that we're in our game, you know what I mean? That either we're dishonorably discharged due to marijuana smoke, because a lot of them used to smoke marijuana in order to cope with a lot that they had going on, which they called us thugs. They put us in jail, all these different things. Again, they're doing this to help with the mental challenges that they have before they lose their mind and kill somebody. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're I say not to go, like, not to go too much into it. We were that extreme. A lot of us wanted to go to war. When you're told you're not going anywhere, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, being a part of the Marine, being a part of Marines, that's that's they told us, they told us, hey, hey, we all this to you so you can go and do something. You know what I mean? And then they rob you of that, and you sit there and now. You have to be your own psychologist. Nobody can fathom or understand what you're going through. Not a preacher, not a spiritual, no one. You know what I'm saying? You have to do it within your. You have to accept that I am challenged. Mm -hmm. Mentally, physically, and spiritually, I am challenged. I need help. More importantly, I want it. Mm -hmm. One I of think the questions I'll... that I wanted to ask you guys, too, is, you know, essentially, being at war and or being trained for war in and of itself is not a healthy psychological like space to have to be in, in general, just to, to even have to anticipate war. That's a, a chaotic space to have to put yourself in. How, for either one of you, for someone that may be in the Marines, may have been, um, or who's been in some branch of service, how do you help them, or what would you advise to them to differentiate between when they have passed what is considered normal? Or you, you get what I'm saying? Like that there's something that they need to maybe look further into how do you know the balance of like this is too much and this may actually be a challenge to even mention or to put something in you know in your in your charts or to mention when you're coming out how do you know that this is not quote unquote normal or well-trained behavior well you gotta uh that's gonna depend on the leadership i was a a company first sergeant for infantry unit like i said i i took two units to iraq so as, as a leader, I'm going to be looking for those individuals that are showing signs because you got to look at it. Uh, if I don't identify those individuals, they could turn that weapon 
on themselves or others. So you can't be selfish in that that point of view. So that that can come both ways. Also, when I did my welcome aboard to you new Marines coming to my unit, I was really surprised the number of individuals that wanted to come into the service during combat time frame. And I was asking these individuals, why were they coming in? And you know the the the, the crazy thing about it, a lot of them were uh, on roll students, uh, had scholarships to go off to school, but a lot of them felt like. Um, Growing up, no one gave them that sense of pride or was honest with them. So they were looking to be a part of a, a sisterhood or a brotherhood uh, that they had heard about, you know, whether it was joining the Army or the Marine Corps or the Air Force. It was just giving them that outlet or giving them a challenge that the schools and, and their families weren't giving them. Again, when you, when you look at that, your, your makeup of your platoon in boot camp, being a previous drill instructor, my kids came from all walks of life. Some mm -hmm. kids had no families. Some kids had the family support. Some kids um, were like me, you know, hey, I, I, this is my only option. You know, uh, I, got, I got business, I got bills, I got responsibilities that I, you know, I have to take care of. Um, so being able to identify that, that that's on the, the, the unit leaders. And I think they're, they're, they're trying to do better because of the suicide rates for all branches are starting to go hit new highs. You know, uh, I said this years ago and people didn't believe me. I said, we're gonna be dealing with mental health issues because we're all around here sitting quiet and tucking stuff up on our beds and pillows uh, because we don't wanna talk about this. Now, look, everybody wants to talk about mental health but I just hope it's the right mental health for that individual. And that's why, you know, I think as I got older, you know, I did a reflection. I had to understand that my life meant something and that I was not gonna let one doctor tell me, well, just just, just talk about this one significant in, uh, incident. Well, I served 20 years. How am I gonna deal with one significant incident? So you, you don't have my best interest at heart. So let me go ahead and talk to somebody else. Now, I could have done this one or two ways. One, you're delaying me to get healthy. And two, I may not want to come back because you set these appointments out so far. It's not like it's something immediate. The only mental health that's normally immediate is if you get on a suicide hotline. Yep. Yep. And that's pretty sad. So if that's you don't bad. have someone you can go talk to immediately to, uh, to address your concerns, it, you, 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 you might be losing somebody that day. Mm -hmm. Or you yeah. might be putting some. You might be putting others in harm way. Now I'm gonna also say this: being able to talk about mental health, it, it sounds good right now for us to do it. But you have to be careful where you talk to people about mental health. Because I've been on a job, and I, I had a, a, a one of my bosses sit here and say, "Well, if you got that type of condition, I don't know if you can do this." Mm. How you how you think that makes me feel as as a grown man that's trying to well, uh, provide and work handicap. Well, you know, some people think they can say whatever they want to to you and think it's okay. You just have to right, know right. that. Uh, but my mind was such in a place where, as you know, like I said, being being able to go to work, being able to feel like my life has a purpose. Sometimes you you overlook that. You know, I should have acted upon it and, and made it news, uh, so where others kind of be responsible for their words and their actions. But mm -hmm. mental health, 
uh, far as minorities, um, it's, it's tough. Yeah, you that's know, what uh, I was going to ask. Not to cut you off, Billy, but I, I want to know, give me two critical things that you think needs to happen for access to mental health treatment, whether it's PTSD, depression, suicidal um, ideation for Black veterans. I know we have the VA hospital and you know what? we've heard different stories and challenges back and forth, but give me two things, Billy, and two things, Mel, that you think that are critical to Black veterans and, and, and accessing the care that they need around mental health challenges. I'm gonna be honest, I wish the, the VA would hire more of us veterans to have uh, been diagnosed with PTSD uh, to be able to get hired and, and, and be part of these groups mm-hmm. and be a part of uh, maybe some type of training, not making me, almost make me like a mental health specialist. I know I'm not, I, I don't probably have the, the, the classes that they may re- require, but I think I have the experience and the knowledge and uh, to be able to go in there and articulate what what's bothering them or outlets to to help individuals and i think when individuals see more of themselves uh we're not well represented when i go to the va hospital we're not well represented at all there and it's still one of those you know let's let's keep it real you know if you don't have a hookup or somebody you you know you're really not getting into those jobs you know what i'm saying so when you go look down the mental health unit all the doctors, they, they got you got your whites, you got your your, your Indian or Arabic doctors. You, you don't see any black. You don't see the, the the other counselors that represent you where you can go uh, talk. And like I said, I went through probably about ten different doctors before I found the two that that show me their respect and concern to sit here and say, one, I want to listen to you, and two, I respect you. But the other eight. If I was weak-minded and just didn't care, I would have gave up. And that's what a lot of individuals do. They just give up because they're sitting there saying, you know, because it's important that that individual's already stepped in the door. That's huge. Mm. So what are we doing to keep them coming back through that door? And I don't think that thought process is is, is done. As that individual is walking out, somebody needs to be walking other than the other doctor, walking them out and saying, were were your concerns addressed? Now you sent to the desk, you told to do your little travel claim, then you told your next appointment, and it is no follow through after that. You know, mm-hmm. a, a simple phone call to sit there and say, hey, how's your day is going? Hire some people to do that. Hey, we know your next appointment is not going to be for a few months. I'm sorry that it's, it's backed up, but I just wanted to check on. Are there intermittent you know, support groups provided by the VA? There are some, but again, look at the number of veterans that have been diagnosed with PTSD in the last few years. Uh It it overwhelmed and shocked the system. So what Mm -hmm. the government is doing is subcontracting to other mental health agencies. But if you don't know anything about that, you're not going to know where to go. And you just can't go and say, I need help without hopefully that you, one, the VA has approved it because that may be out of your pocket mm. or hopefully you got the insurance if you do work somewhere that will cover it. Both cases, you again, you just have to be careful and you have to be knowledgeable because you just can't go out and just do something on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
without having uh, some type of consequence that may be uh, negative, i.e. Uh, you financial, you may have to come back and pay for it or not getting the follow-up that you need. Thank you, Billy. Mel, what were you going to say and what are some critical changes you think needs to happen? Okay, uh, for the two points, uh, Billy, hey, man, what you just said in regards to, um, I agree with your points in regards to uh, our presence. Experience sometimes, like we learned in the military, practical application, Trump sitting in a, a, in a, a once you get a 30-minute instruction, we spent two, three hours learning how to practically apply what we've been being taught. So we are experienced people that can identify with other brothers that come through that door. We're like, hey, man, I've been there too. Because uh, leading to, to my one of my first points is that I think um, the challenge is with black men, well, blacks in general, but I'll speak to black men because I am one, is that we walk around feeling ashamed that there's a stigma when you do anything that's pro, what's considered pro uh, government or United States in the black community. So uh, we're anti joining the military because we was always taught, man, I ain't gonna give my life to somebody else. You get what I'm saying? Um, we were, uh, when, when, to me, Sando, when you, when you teach people that, then you're automatically taking away some of the things that were put in place to help the middle class pull themselves up by the bootstrap. Because the way white society pulled themselves up in, in America after the, uh, the Great War, whatever the war, is that they created uh, the GI Bill, which create, you know, he gave these different benefits that allow for poor whites that were poor before they went away. There was no middle class before they went away. When they came back, these different systems allow for them to create a middle class. So they got education, they got uh, small business loans, they got housing loans, car loans, different things like that. So that's one of the main reasons that you should consider if you're coming from a, a community that you don't, that are not of means, these are one of the things that you consider that help you get out of your way, which was an escape for myself and Billy, you know, and it worked out, you know. Uh, so I think that the main thing we have to stop being ashamed that we served in the military. A lot of my homies, you know, when we came out, man, it was the thing was to be man f them. You know what I'm saying? I ain't do that. My brother was uh, was uh, was uh, medically discharged, was forced to get out the service in two years, and they still won't give him his benefits. But he played around for 20 years. This far as back, they told him to get the surgery, or get out. He decided to get out instead of instead of selecting surgery. And for 20 plus years, he got out in 97. You know, for 20 plus years, he, I mean, or almost whatever it is, he he still hasn't gotten his benefits. And he struggles, really. So, but he had this thing, this toughness. Man, I don't need them. And he went, he went, he put that in my brain. They as a collective, me as a collective, we start putting it in other brothers' brains. You know, and we just started being so discouraging about people going and getting things that would change their life. You earned it. I, I used to, when I first got in the car, I was so grateful, man. I wanted to tat them all over my body and all those things. When I got out, I, I wanted to get so far away from it. And I couldn't escape. I mean, I, when I, and trying to run, I ran into a black hole. For real. You have to know that what you did, the, the creator has intentions for you. And what you you went off and did, even if you did things that might not be proud of. I was not the child my mama raised when I came home. But even though, but I took, once I got better, I took those positives and, and started to work on the negatives later. You know, uh, so we have to tell brothers, it's okay, man, if you join the Marine Corps. It's okay to join the Marine Corps. But if you decide to join the, the service, make sure you are spiritually, morally, and, and ethically in, in place. Because those things will be challenged into a point that you don't even know because you're so young that later on when it comes time to, to apply those different skill sets, 
be moral, be ethical, you're going to be compromised. Because you're around, like you say, you're around so many different people from so many different walks of life that depending on who your leadership is will determine who you will become as a man when you leave there. Because he will have more of an impact than most likely your father, most likely your your, your older brothers and people around you. Because your drill instructor and, and your, your, your platoon commander, when they lead you through war and y'all survive, that's a win for y'all. You start believing them in a way. And it's not like Mr. Williams, you know, you get you get somebody that's bad. Likelihood is you're gonna you're gonna be you become so disgruntled that you're gonna make so many terrible I made terrible decisions just from being not wanting to be in the service no more. Terrible decisions. I hurt people. I did things a terrible decision trying to get kicked out. It wasn't until a big brother, a guy, still my friend to this day. I just seen him the other day, over 20-something years. He gave me everything, but most importantly, he told me I was enough. He said, Hey bro, don't come over here messing up. There's, bro- there's, bro- there's brothers over here. You might think being a minority, but we have a, a system of brothers, you know what I'm saying, that look out for each other. They got rank, they got whatever, but if you need to, to talk to somebody, go over and, and do this. And them people helped me get through. So when I became in charge more, a, a new leader later on in, later on in my, my, my service, I made sure that I, I did that for other brothers. I made sure that when brothers came through that, I, hey, let me pull you in and tell you some of the things, not trying to, to discourage them or anything, but keep their mind in the space to where they can survive four years, eight years, whatever they decide to do. Because the first four years is the hardest thing to get through because you're just trying to find out what you want to be. And when you when you are poised with that decision, it's a difficult decision because you got all these people depending on you. You know, you 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 know that you struggle, and you know, I made a decision to get out. Maybe I mean I was on the verge, of, uh, I was on my, my way to picking up staff sergeant. Maybe my life would have been a lot different, but I, I don't second guess anything, you know what I mean? But um, I, I think uh, most importantly is, is, is let's talk to them and make sure that when we are, we see each other, that we know that each other exists and stop being ashamed of what we did and what we joined or whatever. Get them benefits, bro. If it's 20 years down the line, you still, they, you earned it. Go get it. Don't let nobody tell you and don't let them push you out. But he just said it's true. Don't let them push you. You're talking about civilians who, who cannot even identify with what you went through. They get paid to work a nine to five. They don't care that you got psychological issues. They don't mm-hmm. care, you know what I'm saying, that before you went in, most of us were already struggling with trauma and post uh, and PTSD long before we went in. Our people as a community still deal with PTSD. And we just keep on just under the rug, under the rug, under the rug, under the rug, under the rug. Man, we, it's our right to be broken. It's all right to be in pain. It's all right to be hurt. It's all right to cry. It's all right to do whatever your body tells you you need to do, but you need to do it. You know what I mean? Because we are responsible and the vessel for our own psychological well-being. And thank you. They yes. know that. And so, yes, thank you for all of that, Mel. And, and it's important that when you're going through that, that you get the help that you need, right? Because it is about recovery and resilience and being able to keep going. And, and now, you know, Billy has a great career. I'm in education now and you're doing great things um, in tech and social media mail. So my last question for you all is I just want to talk again about therapy and recovery and, and just encouraging, you know, the men to not be ashamed to at least go to therapy after they get back home, right? After they're discharged. And because a lot of people are walking around undiagnosed not knowing how that trauma that they've experienced and, and dealt with um, in their many years of service, it has affected them and is still affecting them as well as their families. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are you all in therapy or have you gone to therapy? Was it helpful for you? And what can we do to encourage 
our black male veterans when they do get discharged or even, you know, before they go in might be a little bit of tough um, challenge in terms of trying to re- encourage them to start therapy. We would like that, but at the very least, once they get discharged, you know, l- let's talk about the importance of therapy and getting help. Um, well, it, it determines on what type of quality of life that they want. You know, that's, that's, I, I think when you, you come out and you, you coming back out to the, to the, I call it the civilian world, you, you, you have to do a reflection. You, you got to start making that transition that things are not going to be the same uh, like they were in the military. And that's all on, on different levels. So you need to start uh, one with that reflection and, and start thinking about your own expectations as far as how you want to feel, how you want to go about your day, how you want to live, how you want to be around others. Because, uh, like I said, I, I got out, you know, with doubts. Um, no one led me to a, a mental health facility or to the VA hospital or anything. It was up to me to ask questions. And I think for the most part, about 60 to 70 percent of veterans do more of the word of mouth. Hey, you need to go to the hospital. You need to go get help. Then it being directed uh, from the military, you know, unless you get diagnosed in the military and they start your benefits as you're leaving the military. Again, for me, I came out with a zero rating. It took me approximately about 14 years to get to the level of disability that I felt like I, I deserved. Uh, and, and you have to go in there. I had to tell doctors, you know, when they told me, no, I don't feel like there's nothing wrong with you. I don't, I don't you know, you look at me, I'm, I'm not the typical service member that they look at where I look like my, my, you know, I'm on crutches, uh, you know, I don't have the big stomach. So when I go into a VA, they'll look at me and say, ooh, you don't look like somebody that's, that's been through anything. And that's, that's a little disturbing because if they had done their research with the book, your medical book, they would have seen. This guy got five combat tours. They would see the, the type of background that I have. So you're already discouraged and sitting there saying, they're not going to give me a fair uh, shake on uh, reviewing my claim anyway because they already feel a certain kind of way. You know, and I'll be honest, people count your money. They sit here and say, you know, you, you were retired, so that should be enough. But I sit here and, and I, I just think from different levels, when we sit here and talk about a service member, we need to also include the service member's families because they are also the ones, when you're gone, they're the ones left at home going through stuff too or left to handle certain situations by themselves. So they just can't think about just a service member. They need to think about the service members and the families. And I hate going to places where they just want to recognize veterans one day out of the week or one day out of the year. You know, I'll I, I tell them in a heartbeat, I served 365 days. The holidays didn't mean anything while we were in because okay. we were in different countries, you know? So uh, it's only individual to one, do a reflection and, and just try to see. Hopefully, like Mel said, he got some brothers that are around him or people like me and Mel that when I see a veteran, the first thing I ask him, are you working on your disabilities? Did you go in combat? Did you have any significant events? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I do that. And people look like, you you crazy. No, I'm not crazy. Because I just think it's, it's bad that you sit there and see people who've served like they've served and they're struggling. 
not just financially, you're talking about mentally. And if they're struggling mentally, think about that wife, that girlfriend, that son, mm-hmm. that daughter, that cousin, somebody is being affected by their actions. So I can sit here and say my family has been affected by my actions because if I'm up walking around at one or two o'clock in the morning, they wonder why I'm up at one or two o'clock in the morning. When I'm not sitting here wanting to be around them when they're going places and I want to be the loner or I snap over the simplest thing, my family is being affected by that. So That's why family therapy is important too. Let everybody go. It's a team in the unit. Well, we got to get the individual going first. Also trying to one of the biggest challenges, you know, is asking that question, are you a veteran, you know, the fact that you labeling that so many, you know, to uh, Mel's point, you know, you was afraid you didn't talk about it, you didn't share that information. So there are so many veterans who are getting lost because we don't know they're veterans and they don't know and you know until something's wrong until something's wrong right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing i think we can look at is asking the question and being able to know where our veterans are located well they, your areas need to host events for veterans um yes. uh, depending on where you're at um i was went to an event about a year ago or was part of it where they basically brought in people that did uh cut hair people that did uh, dental work, people that had clothing. We auctioned off bikes. We gave away gift cards to tell veterans, hey, you get here, we got something uh, that you may need or or want and be able to walk away with. We even had a a, a judge come out that would uh, get rid of most charges to give individuals the opportunity to be able to go apply for jobs. Because oh, so like expunging their records. There you wow. go. As long as it wasn't no. murder, as mm-hmm. long as they didn't kill anybody, they most of the stuff was expungible. Mm. But again, you got veterans that's going and staying away, want the help, but they just don't know, they don't want to get arrested, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. over some, you know, not so serious charges. That's right. Partnering with like law enforcement, you know, judicial systems to to lessen those charges, to give more resources. Yeah, those are great ideas and and things we need to really support and and get more veterans behind to push it out there as well too. Because to your point, they need to hear from you all. They they Mm -hmm. need to know, Mm -hmm. you know, about it. They need to know, you know, coming out, they need to know going in. You know, and in order to really deal with, you know, all of that, not to say you should discourage, but just to understand the impact of it all. Absolutely. Well, we, for one, you got friends in Silence of Shame now, Billy and Mel. Um, we, that's why we wanted to kick this off. And, you know, maybe in 2022, we can do something bigger, but there are some ways, hopefully, that we can even, even if it's a support group or something we can do in the fall together, we want to do it. Mel, can you, um, you know, again, give us your thoughts on, on therapy, the importance of it, and then tell us about your program again and how we can um, get involved and how others listening can get involved to support the work that you all are doing. All right. Um, therapy, necessary. I believe that, uh, but it's about whether or not you're ready for it. You know, you, uh, sometimes we feel uh, less than, um, or whatever, because, you know, like, um, everybody has vulnerabilities. And I think that those, those, those 
four years when you first get out of high school or whatever, those are very, very important years the way you're taught about uh, more about esteem. You, you get to apply the esteem that your parent and the lesson that your parents gave you. And I think that, uh, you know, if you make the decision to go into the service, that's maybe one of the only spaces they're a prison, you know, that um, they're going to replace those teachings. And um, you're going to need help to find a common ground and a common space of peace for yourself. Not everybody, but uh, I'll, I'll be, I, I bet I'm going to bet you'll be hard pressed to find. Uh, I'll speak so specifically to the Marine Corps because that's that's who I know. That's what I am. Uh, you'll be hard pressed to find an individual that is not uh, challenged, um, and much more than they're willing to admit. Um, men don't like to communicate because they feel like it's soft. All that man was taught by so anybody. I think those teachings were, were taught by soft men, and because they didn't want to deal with their issues. But I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm more now, I, I go around and I speak. Uh, my brother now, um, they became more active in regards to um, the veteran initiatives, you know, before I did, because as I stated, you know, I had a lot of things going on. But once I, once I went through what I went through, I realized like, man, all these different things and challenges that I had, you know what I mean, that I so-called healed myself from, you know, you, I missed out on a lot of life not getting help first. You know what I mean? I missed out on probably love. I missed out on relationships. I am blessed to have found my wife, to be, be given my wife by the creator. You know what I mean? Because uh, I know I wouldn't have healed. I wouldn't have chose to heal because I had gotten to the point where I embraced those traumas and it made me feel good. It did. It made me feel good. So I would mm. tell each and every brother to get out here, man, get the help that's necessary. That doesn't mean go lay on somebody's couch, man, but talk. Uh-oh, I think we lost him. We'll come back. So, Billy, let everybody know how they can uh, reach out to you. Uh, I guess you can reach out to me by just using my personal email. Uh, it's my name, Billy, B-I-L-L-Y, Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S-I-I-I at hotmail.com. Uh, you can reach out, talk to me about anything. You know, as we go grow closer, I'll share my, you know, other information with you. Um, this is, uh, don't be ashamed. I, I think Mel touched on something. You have to be ready uh, to want to be vulnerable. Uh, and once you start, you you got to be 110% going in. Uh, once I started, I, I did want to go back and be honest. I, I had that hard crying that hard conversation that hard talk and start expression i start feeling so much better I, i'm i'm serious it's it's almost like having a full stomach and, and just like where can i get some relief at mm. and being able to breathe uh mm. now I, i'm gonna I'm be honest i i can't stop talking <laughs> well deanna highly recommended you and said that you know the way you articulate your story is truly inspiring and we truly have been inspired today and just can't thank you enough for being vulnerable and transparent and, and sharing your journey with us. I know that you're helping so many people and continuing to talk and share is what's important. And, you know, hopefully there can be that black peer to peer program started amongst veterans. Um, maybe that's something Silence Shame might do one day as we expand our roles and and try to do more things in the community. But it, it has been a true honor to have you 
and mail on today. I, I, we always like to make sure that we leave our listeners with some resources. And I'm sure most of you all know, but there is a, a National Center for PTSD, uh, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. And you can go to ptsd.va.gov. Um, and within the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, there is a Center for Minority Veterans. So there is an African-American Black Veterans Service Members uh, Program uh, that may be more employee assist assistance um, driven. Uh, but there are benefits out there. Um, I know some of them might not all be ideal scenarios, but we got to start somewhere. And our Black veterans, just like all of our other veterans, deserve the same level of respect. And I hope in the same level of care. And so to Billy's point, sometimes, you know, you, you can't just judge a book by its cover. They don't know what you've been through, right? So just because you are relatively healthy, man, doesn't mean that you don't have things that you're dealing with, especially mental health challenges. And so we hope that people get the help that they need um, from an external resource perspective. You know, you can always visit our website, silenceashamed.com and go to resources. If you do have another job and have your own insurance, there are a lot of really great mental health uh, organizations out there that can help you find therapists like therapyforblackmen.org and taking it a step further we talked about support for the families therapy for black women um, dot therapy for black girls i'm sorry therapyforblackgirls.com and some other ones great ones that are under um, our website and if you feel like you are at risk of harming yourself there's a national suicide prevention lifeline which is 1-800-273-TALK and the crisis text line organization is a really good um, crisis assistance um, program. If you feel like, you know, it's three in the morning and, you know, you just are in crisis, you can text the word silence to 741-741 and immediately, immediately be connected with a crisis counselor. It does not replace therapy, but it is good to help deescalate a crisis. Um, also community service boards in your respective cities and organizations um, so, some incredible resources. And I'm going to let Jewel give a few more resources as well. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight the veteran crisis line. Um, I, I know it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, you know, when you are in crisis that you, you just connect to some of the volunteers, but volunteers can save lives too. So, you know, knowing that someone is out there that you can connect with and hopefully can then connect you to a provider is, is, is really important. Um, just remembering, you know, if you aren't aware of your benefits, you know, how to access those benefits, but also connecting to the mental health providers in your community um, and just looking out, you have the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administrator in, Administration where they can offer a treatment locator for you. So if you're looking for treatment services, if you're not feeling like, you know, that the constant stress is what you can get through day to day, please, please reach out. Um, and consider uh, um, looking for a therapist um, and other ways or other treatments that could be available to you as well. Thank you, Jewel. Thank you again for being a part of the program. Thank you, Free Brother. Are you just as inspired as I am? All these men that give, and women, of course, that give their lives to our country on a regular basis. We want to make sure that they are healthy and whole and that they get the help that they need. Free, do you have any final words? Yeah, and after listening to this, they give their lives and, and also their mental health and stability um, for, for so much, and they sacrifice so much. But um, yeah, I'm very inspired. I definitely would 
love to connect with Billy and Mel. I actually have a very close family member who's kind of going through some of this and he's younger right now with a new family and they're faced with some of these challenges. So um, this is very good to hear. My father was a veteran, so I had to go through not necessarily mental health challenges um, with dealing with the VA, but I did have to experience his other health challenges with the VA. And I know how the systems are not only slow, they're not always interconnected. They're also not always um, plugged into each other to be supportive of one another. So you go from one person explaining a story in a position to having to go to another person and do that all over again versus having someone that directly serves you and what you're going through. And you find yourself sometimes in a um, losing or never ending cycle and circle of a, a detachment of support. And so I've had to deal with that very, very much so firsthand by being his power of attorney. So I understand this and this is something that's very close to me and I appreciate everyone um, for, you know, Billy and, and Mel for jumping on and being so transparent and honest and knowing how challenging at times those things could be. So I'm, I'm very inspired, but I would love to also connect. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And Free, how can everyone continue to support our podcast? Oh, we are available on all of your podcast streaming platforms. So um, Apple, we're available on um, iTunes uh, or, excuse me, iPhones podcast platform. SoundCloud, we're also on Google Play and Spotify. So please rate, subscribe, share, and comment. That really does help us. Let us know what you'd like to hear, as well as what you thought of these um, these episodes that we do and that we provide. Thank you. Thank you, young man. And you can follow us on Instagram at Silence to Shame, on Twitter and Facebook at Silence TH Shame. Again, make sure that you are sharing these episodes, getting the information out to the community. It's our main priority as we continue to educate and empower communities around mental health and wellness. You have been tuned in to episode 47 of the Silence to Shame podcast, Black Male Veterans and PTSD. I'm your host, Shanti Das. You can follow me at Shanti Das 404 on IG. We are truly humbled by the, the words and the journeys and the story uh, stories that we heard today from Mr. Billy Williams and Melvin Middleton. And we honor you and we absolutely, with complete respect, salute you. Thank you both and take time, save the life and silence the shame.